Welcome back. Episode 20. It has been, I swear, like I try to get on point with schedules, but summer schedules suck with kids. And so we have not been consistent with weekly. Um, so we're a couple of weeks late on this one, but I'm excited to be back. Actually, no, we're probably a week out, but I'm excited to be back. And, uh, you know, we are finally getting back to a rhythm. Kids are going to back to school soon. And here we are. Adrian and I are talking about the impacts of a relationship and having trust and having vulnerability and being able to um, being able to have healthy conflict through the moment of building trust with somebody. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I don't remember if we talked about this last time. Um, I was reading a book called Personality Isn't Permanent by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Guy has an interesting story. I don't even know how I came across this book. But there was something I, I read in it that I thought was interesting that had to do with finding the right person. It was kind of interesting. So he's like, he says, um, just as you will never find yourself, you will never find that perfect soulmate. The reason people want to find the perfect person, just like they want to find the perfect job, is because the discovery perspective is selfish. The end goal is all about meeting your own gratifications and happiness, rather than happiness being the byproduct of something much bigger. Of this, Harvard business professor Clayton Christensen said, the path to happiness is about finding someone who you want to make happy, someone whose happiness is worth devoting yourself to. Not so much about finding that person that makes you perfectly happy. Because you see like that perspective, if you're always looking for that person that is going to make you happy, that is going to be your everything, that pursuit is actually pretty selfish. It's false. It's self-centered. I'm looking for someone that's going to meet all of my needs. Yep. And, And one of the things that's important there though, as believers and followers of Jesus is, no one is ever going to meet all of my needs. That perfect person does not exist because God didn't design us to be fulfilled by another person. Mm-hmm. He is our fulfillment. Yeah. And even in that fulfillment, the model that Christ sets forth is to think more highly of others, yeah. is to serve them. Yep. So even in our relationships, rather than being overly concerned with, does this person make me happy? Is this someone that I want to make happy? Yeah. Is this someone that my heart's desire is is to make them happy? That's good. Well, that that self so the selfish ambition of making somebody your source of happiness is only going to drive you in that relationship straight into the ground. And them. And them. Because they they more than likely never asked for that burden. Right. They, yeah. So why do we put that? I put the burden of all my contentedness, my fulfillment and happiness. I'm going to put it all on you. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's go have a happy life. How unfair is that? Wow. Well, that goes, that goes back to the, the is it Brianne Brown? Brianne? Brene. Brene. Mm-hmm. She, in, in the video where this, quote 
where she said this quote where basically it's people are hard to hate close up. But the way she started the, the video or the way that the video started, sorry, is her saying, nobody can make you feel loved. And nobody can make you feel happy because that puts the responsibility for them to perform. And in order for you to have the feelings in the order for you to feel connected to them, they have to perform, they have to act, they have to play theatrics. Well, then it, it puts your sense of self-worth, your sense of value, your sense of love, your sense of joy. Yes. It puts it in something external. Yep. And like, if... I think a lot of the problems we have as human beings in relationships, just in interacting with other human beings and, you know, all the bumpiness that comes with that. I think a lot of that stems from, if not all, stems from us not being secure in who we are in him. If I know that I am his son, I am his daughter, and that I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, and that I'm loved by him, there is a sense, if I really know that, in my bones, there is a sense of security, a sense of safety, yeah. a sense of confidence, a sense of purpose that comes from knowing that. Well, security, safety, perf- purpose, confidence. The substitute that we, we try to use a lot of times is we try to get those things from others. Yeah. We try to get the affirmation from others. We try to get a sense of security from others. Like, do they accept me? Do they love me? Do they encourage me? Do they affirm me? Do they do all these things. And it's great if they do. Right. But first I need to have all those things from my creator, from my father, because if I have them from, if I get all those things from him, then whether or not I get them from others, I can still stand. I can still walk. I can still live a life that is filled with joy mm-hmm. and contentment and purpose. Yeah. Um, but if, if my joy and my contentment and my sense of purpose is all based on the affirmation, love, encouragement, all that from others only, and I don't have that connection with my father, yeah. then our life's going to be a roller coaster. Because, mm. yeah, when people are treating you great, if you're accepted, if for whatever reason, if you're more accepted, you're going to feel great. When you're not accepted, you're going to feel lowly. And it's like, People, how they perceive you and how you're going to be treated, it's going to change all the time. Yeah. When, in terms of how you're treated and accepted by others, God's never going to treat you differently. Yeah. His love is always going to be consistent. His love, he never changes. He's not going to be in a bad mood one day and say, yeah, you know what? You're worthless. Yeah. Now there's going to be people in our lives that will think that. That will think that or that will will perceive that because they don't make time for us. Like, you know, it's like they tell you, oh, I love you. I think you're, but then they never do the things to demonstrate it. Yeah, the action behind it. But if I'm secure in my father and who he says I am, if I'm secure in him, then those other things, I can weather that storm. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean that, that we don't, uh, cherish and value all those things from others. Right. But I think we need to, it's important that we, we need to have this foundation in, no, my, my identity 
my sense of worth, my sense of identity, my sense of purpose, all of that, my sense of confidence, all of those things, they're rooted in my father and in the fact that I am, a, I am his child. Yeah. Like those are roots yeah. that, that, that won't move. Man, you jumped right into that one. Yeah, and I think most of the problems we have are because we're not secure in that. So we go around looking 100%. for, you know, how much of our behavior is centered around how we're perceived by others. It's reactive to our emotions of not getting our emotion met. So I'm going to behave a certain way. I'm going to act a certain way. I'm going to look a certain way. I'm going to respond a certain way uh, based on how others are reacting. Am I accepted? Do they like me? Do they not like me? My love? Did they check on me? I walked into church. Nobody said hi. Like all these things, they're all external. But there's, I I think there's a sense of peace that comes from, you know what? I, I know the creator of the universe is my father and he loves me. There's a sense of peace and a stillness um, that comes from that. What I think is funny for me, peculiar, I'm saying all these things, but I will forget. Of course. Because emotions drive sometimes or most of the time, right? I will forget. That's the other thing that even when we talk about these things, even just because we, we talk about them or we have this realization or we, we come to understand something doesn't mean that it's in our bones and DNA yet. Yeah. Like we have to continually revisit it continually. This is why we need Jesus every single day because we're, we're going to forget. You've said this before. I wrote it down as a quote. <clears throat> a lot of this is, it's not a problem to be solved. It's a tension to be managed. That tension of feeling inadequate needs to be checked. It's like what Ross says, or I mean, we've heard this over and over again through a lot of different, you know, professionals in the psychiatry world and in psychology. Pastors talk about this. We've talked about this. Do the work and feelings follow. Yeah, I love the way Ross says that. He's like, feelings follow. Um, yeah, that's... That's good. At some point, um, we have to make a decision. And something has to change in our heart. Because I think feelings follow can also be, it's, it's, there's a nuance to it. Because mm-hmm. feelings follow could also communicate to someone, fake it till you make it. Right. There's and sometimes a- when you fake it till you make it, nothing's changed in your heart. And you're going through all the actions, but your heart hasn't changed. Sometimes we have to go to God and let God do the heart work. Yes. And guess what? All the actions start changing after. Yep. But that's not feelings. That's what's going on in your spirit, what's going on in your heart. Like that, that changes the outcropping of behavior. That changes everything else. Not now I understand there's sometimes it's like, hey, you just got to get up and do something. Yep. You know, you got to move. You have to take a step, not just stay there. Uh but at the same time, Luke 6.45, a good man, I quote this all the time because there's so many applications. A good man brings forth good things out of the goodness stored up in his heart. Yeah. I got I to gotta go spend time with my father, spend time in the word, spend time in worship, spend time on my face so that the, 
stuff is put in my heart. So God is, I'm spending time at his feet and he's filling my heart up. And hopefully my heart is so full that my body and my character and my life and my behavior can't contain what's in my heart. So my behavior changes, my character changes, my perspective changes, my goals change, my purpose changes. The way that I live my life changes because there's stuff in my heart that I have to express some way and I got to get it. I got to do something. I feel something in my heart and it has to get out and I'm going to find a way to get it out. Yeah. Well, that goes back to what we talked about at breakfast today, what Martin said. We have a new friend, Martin, that's coming to breakfast with us. And it's the heart influencing the mind. Because at that point it becomes action because you can think about what are the steps that I need to make. Yeah. Which is which is really awesome to think about in terms of this puts into perspective feelings follow. I mean, it, it could be backwards because if your heart feels it first and you're feeling it, and then the mind is corrected from there. But but in this, you're coming to God first, and that connection point is him first. And then he touches, and then you can go and speak do and act. So I understand that there's, there's depending on how you're looking at that, that can be very complex. I'm looking for a quote that I shared a while back. I went back and I, I read some of this book years ago and I, I never finished it. So I went back to read it. There's a book by Dallas Willard called renovation of the heart. Um, and a few weeks ago I started reading and I'm going through, chapter one, and I hit a spot where I just had to stop. I couldn't go any further because something that, there was something I realized, it was something that hit me so hard that I felt like I just need to sit on this. And I've been sitting on it, trying to understand it, trying to live it out, trying to, to wrap my mind, my heart, my spirit, my character around it. And I haven't felt like I can go on to the next chapter yet. This is like the first chapter. Here's the quote. Um, the revolution of Jesus is in the first place and continuously a revelation of the human heart, a revolution of the human heart or spirit. It did not and does not proceed by means of the formation of social institutions and laws, the outer forms of our existence, intending that these would then improve a good order of life upon people who come under their power. Rather, his is a revolution of character which proceeds by changing people from the inside through ongoing personal relationship to God in Christ and to one another. It is one that changes their ideas, beliefs, feelings, and habits of choice, as well as their bodily tendencies and social relations. It penetrates to the deepest layers of their soul. External social arrangements may be useful to this end, but they are not the end, nor are they the fundamental part of the means. On the other hand, from those divinely renovated depths of the person, social structures will naturally trans be transformed so that justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, Amos 5.24. Such streams cannot flow through corrupted souls. Conversely, a renovated within will not cooperate with public streams of unrighteousness. It will block them or die trying. It is the only thing that can do so. T.S. Eliot once described the current human endeavor as that of finding a system of order so perfect that we will not have to be good. The way of Jesus tells us, by contrast, that any number of systems, not all, to be sure, will work well if we are genuinely good, and we are then free to seek the better and the best. 
The impotence of systems is a main reason why Jesus did not send his students out to start governments or even churches as we know them today, which always strongly convey some elements of a human system. They were instead to establish beachheads of his person, word, and power in the midst of a failing and human, uh, feudal humanity. They were to bring the presence of his kingdom and its king into every corner of human life simply by fully living in the kingdom with him. Those who received him as their living Lord and constant instructor would be God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Colossians 3.12, and would learn how to be blameless and harmless, children of God, faultless in the midst of a twisted and misguided generation from within. They shine as lights in the world, lifting up a word of life. Jesus didn't come to change political structures. He was not a political leader. He didn't come and say, I want to go talk to Caesar. He wasn't campaigning. He, he was talking to a, a woman at a well. He was talking to a man who climbed up a tree to see him. He was talking to fishermen. He was talking to farmers. He was talking to a religious leader who had questions. Soldier who needed healing, or his kids needed healing. He's talking to individuals. Yeah. He, it's, this kind of relates to that quote that you shared at the beginning, the Brene Brown thing. It's hard to hate people up close. Well, one, he didn't hate people, and he was modeling being up close. <laughs> so when he was having the discussion with Zacchaeus, it was probably over dinner. When he was having a discussion with Nicodemus, it was probably over dinner. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding party where people are gathering together, celebrating, breaking bread, doing life. Like, so walking with others per individually is critical. He's going to be a smart aleck and say it requires food. Isn't, didn't he do that with uh, Matthew? Wasn't it at dinner too when he called him to him to leave oh my gosh. as a tax collector? I don't remember. I think it was. He went to his house, remember? That's what it was. He went to his house. But even, even think, well, you mentioned food. And I think of communion. And I, I've heard somebody mention, I can't remember who I heard mention this, saying that uh, when he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And they were having this dinner. And I heard somebody interpret that as, that's every time we break bread together. Yeah. And the thing that I find so powerful about communion is when you're, when you're breaking bread with someone and you're eating, you, are, you have something set before you that you're going to consume that literally gives you life and supports your physical body. Yeah. Well, I think also on a spiritual level, when you're breaking bread with people and you're having communion with others, I think that feeds our spirit. Yeah. So you have this, this thing where a meal, every time we have a meal with family or friends, why don't we view that as something sacred? Yeah, and if you think about all the, the celebrations and the moments of harvest and like the celebrations a week of harvest, right? was always around food. It was about breaking bread. Two activities that are life-giving. 
one for the body, one for the spirit. Yeah. There's this quote that I took down a while back. I mean, it's probably been like months. But on the Glorify app, it, it uh, quoted Philip Yancey. It said, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. I feel like that relates to what we're talking about. I think one of the things that you said from the Dallas Willard book is that the freedom that we have in Christ in Western culture is always to create a king. And a lot of... As humans, I as think. Hum, yeah, humanity, that's what uh, I meant to say, uh, yeah. As humans, it's like, give us a king. Yeah. The nation of Israel, hey, with, with Saul, it's like, hey, they have a king, they have a king, they have a king, give us a king. Yeah. Then fast forward to when Jesus came, well, we're waiting for a king. Yeah. Again, we want a political king. And the first time when they got Saul, you know, Samuel's like, God's telling him, like, this isn't, this isn't good for you, but this is what you want. Okay, I'm going to give it to you. And they get it, and it doesn't go well. Yeah. Um, God wanted his people to draw near to him, yes. but they wanted a king. It's like we're looking for our savior in a human, in a human political figure. Yeah. And now when, you know, the people, when Israel, the people of Israel are waiting for Jesus' second coming, or they're waiting for him to come, and they're, they're looking at the prophecy. When, when Jesus comes, well, they're looking for a political figure. And I think that's one of the things that Willard addresses is like, Jesus didn't come to um, be the next emperor, leader, president. And what happened was because he wasn't that, they rejected him. You know what I'm feeling right now, my spirit? I feel like this next season is going to be a season of us not speaking and doing. It hasn't felt more real than just now. We get we get tangled up in the saying, and we say all these things. And the thing with the thing with saying what you believe, or saying what you're going to do, or what you should do, or what is right and what is wrong, is we write checks that we bounce. Oh, that one's good. We write checks that we, <laughs> we we said something and we wrote a check. Like we're declaring this is what we believe and this is what it means. We're declaring all these things and saying these things. But then our when it, when it comes time to 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 pay that check, our behavior doesn't doesn't pay the check. So how about we just just do it? Right checks that we bounce. Our behavior doesn't match our mouth. Well, all right, that's the topic for this week. Our behavior doesn't match our mouth. Oh, dude. Man. Yeah, I told you I was talking to a younger person who's still in school. I don't know, junior or high school, I don't remember, but I was talking to a young person and I shared with them just my conviction that I, you know, that we as believers and followers of Jesus and me personally, my conviction has been say less and do more. 
And he looks at me kind of confused. Um, because I'm saying, well, yeah, when when you're in whatever setting, whatever social setting, if you happen to be in school, say less and do more. And I think he misunderstood that. I think, you know, it's very important to stand up for what you believe in and be vocal about it. I get that. So when, and I think we tell, we tell each other that, like, never be ashamed. Be willing to speak up for the gospel and for Jesus. And like, yeah, but can we speak up without using so many words? So when I, so when I said, say less and do more, he looked at me really inquisitively. He's like, well, how would I do that? If I'm not saying stuff and telling people what I believe, like, how are they going to know? Genuinely, he had this blank look. And my response was, how about by being kind to people? How about by engaging that one kid that is sitting alone or engaging that other kid who's socially awkward and has trouble connecting? Or here's a thought, how about trying to help kids that don't feel connected feel connected? How, how about trying to help kids connect with each other? How about having humility and helping others and affirming and encouraging other people? Just doing that. It's what we talked about earlier that we didn't, I think before we hit record, when my ex and I went through, started going through our problems, it was that moment in the garage when you, you didn't jump on my side and we're like, oh, yeah, you're right. What you did in that moment was you asked about her first. And it was, it was, it was the, the correction that I needed. And you acting out, seeing that person first before thinking or saying anything about them. And I think that right there is exactly what Jesus did. When you think about Mary... He saw her first before he spoke to the Pharisees. Because what did he do? He stood quiet and he played in the sand. He wrote something in the sand. Then he stood up and spoke. Mm -hmm. But he looked at her first. When the stuff was going down with your marriage and you were sharing, and I remember that, that day that we talked, I didn't feel... Compelled to take a side. Yeah. I was on the side of the marriage. Oh, so good. And the marriage, by definition, is the both of you. Yeah, the team. So yeah. I had been talking with you. I knew what your feelings were. I knew some of what you were feeling and expressing. I didn't know anything about what was going on on her end. Yeah. Oh, so good, dude. So my concern was, okay, how are you both? It wasn't just focusing on her. Yeah. Like, I'd spent time with you. Mm -hmm. So my thought was, how are they both, how are they doing as a marriage? Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is is just this desire that no one go unseen that's something that's just even saying it now 
I feel like this, this weight in my heart for people that go unseen. Because mm-hmm. you've been in that position. I have. And I know what that feels like. Yeah. Um, but I also know what it feels like to be seen by Jesus. Preach. I know how life-giving it is in the light of his face, in the light of his presence. There's fullness of joy. I know how life-giving and affirming and encouraging and how much joy there is in that. So can we do that with others? There's so much power in just seeing someone. This morning, breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or wait, yep. just Julie. Yep. Just seeing her. Yeah. Like, hey, I, I see you. Yep. I see you. I value you. I'm like, hey, you're doing a great job this morning. Like, there's, a, there's something life-giving in that. When we see others, I think I've said it before, I think we're, we're, um, when we see others lovingly and affirmingly, I think we are following the example of God seeing us lovingly and affirmingly. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, yes. we're bearing, I think that's one way to bear his image. I was having a hard time last week. I was doing Instacart. And um, and I had a moment, I was thinking about this conversation that I had with a person uh, and it was something really impactful and I started to feel some certain emotions and I was like, but hold up, like everything that we, this person and I had a conversation around, it wasn't anything bad um, and it wasn't anything good, like it was just, just matter of fact and my emotion was almost like I had been offended. And I was like, I have no reason to be offended. There's not, nothing in that conversation should make me feel the way that I feel right now. There's nothing that I need to carry. There's nothing that I need to, and what I, as I was processing, it took me about an, no, let me take that back. It took me about a few hours to get through the thought and the process in my mind. And what I came down to was I felt rejected. And I was like, wait a minute, but why do I feel rejected when whatever this person had said has nothing to do with me? And at the end of it, I was like, you know what, God? But you haven't rejected me. And this person didn't even say anything that shows any type of rejection. So this is my my insecurity of needing affirmation that everything's going to be okay. And in the reality of things, I had to, I had to come to God with it and give it to him and, and walk with him in that because, or him walk with me in this. It took me some time to really, to come down to the realization that I was wrong in my thinking and my expectations that I put on this other person uh, was uncalled for. And it was a correction that I needed right in the moment. Um, But my identity, I had to come back to my identity in him and who I was in him and what he has planned for me and all the things, right? Continue to name the list that we have to tell ourselves about God loving us. But in my own humanity, I took something so dumb and small and made it so big in my mind. It sounds like there was something 
that triggered an emotion. There was something about the interaction that triggered an emotional mm-hmm. or psychological response. Yeah. And you may not be sure exactly what it was, but your emotion and your body started responding in a way. And you had one of those, our friend Jessica, you had a Jess moment, like, what's that about? Y- yes, I did. <laughs> I Thank you, Jess, for that. Right. I did, yeah. Like, that was it. You're just sitting there wondering... Um, I'm, I'm feeling something and I acknowledge that and I'm aware of it, but I'm not sure why I'm feeling this right now. So kind of starting to explore what is it about this interaction Mm -hmm. that, that caused these responses? Yeah. And what I thought I had to do was regulate. It wasn't, it wasn't self-regulation. It was calling the crap out that I was believing in the moment that wasn't real. Yeah, that's good. I wish I would have remembered that then because I would have. And I love just the way she, what's that about? <laughs> just so simple. Just to come out and ask, like, why, why am I feeling this? Right? Yeah, we'll have her back on here. Yeah, man, doing, say less, do more. Our last episode. You're just carrying over. The original intent of this episode was dealing with <laughs> conflict and we went all over the place, but. I think there's some some really deep, meaningful learnings here for us to sit with. All right, so action item for the week. I'm so glad you asked. Oh, you have it ready? Oh, I got it ready. <laughs> I've been sitting on ready on this one. Oh, dude. I was debating. Shoot it. I was really re- debating between uh, a scripture in Romans and a scripture in Corinthians. Um. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Okay. The, the title of this section is Love in Action. Oh, good. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer, share the Lord's people, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. It's just first section. Just just read. Romans 12 from 9 to the end. Actually, read all of Romans 12 and apply it. Don't share that scripture with anybody. Live that scripture with everybody. Yeah, don't be a Facebook warrior. Like, read that, read Romans 12 and ask God, like, let it, let that word become flesh. Let that word shape your character, your behavior, your thoughts, your perspective, how you see and treat other people. Like just read that and let it become part of who you are. Let it settle in your bones. And like any meal, we talked about meals earlier today. You know, when you eat a meal, if I eat a good steak, if I eat some vegetables, if I eat something, it takes my body a while to metabolize the nutrients in that food. And for those nutrients to go heal, restore, build up, repair, 
parts of my body. And some of those nutrients become muscle. Some of those nutrients become, they repair, they restore, they heal, and they build up parts of my body. But it takes time for my body to metabolize that food that I've consumed. Mm. Well, go read Romans 12 and give yourself time to metabolize that because it's going to take it a little bit to work its way into your spirit and change your spirit, your character, your behavior, your beliefs, your perspectives, how you see others, how you treat others. Like, don't think just because you read it, all that stuff's going to change immediately. Yeah. Just let it settle. Be a beat. Yes. <laughs> Context around that, guys. I just started drinking beet juice, and it takes <laughs> two to three hours before it actually gets into your bloodstream and it creates nitric oxide. So I was telling the guys that this morning at breakfast, and that led to a conversation of like, why do we rush things with scripture? And But this relates heavily to it. Let it be a part of you. Be a beat. Nice. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys, Till next week, we love you. Love y'all. Be blessed.